Hi, I'm Harriet Smith and welcome to Dietitian Cafe, where we'll be discussing the world of nutrition and dietetics. Today, we're recording a special episode during the coronavirus pandemic, and we're joined by key worker and registered dietitian, Aaron Boyson. Aaron is a dietitian at Bradford Teaching Hospital in the north of England. He's been qualified for almost a year and is currently working to provide nutrition support to patients with COVID. In his free time, he also produces his own podcast called Dietetics Digest Podcast, in which he interviews dietitians from other specialities. So welcome, Aaron. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I'm sure it's an extremely busy time for you at the moment. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So first of all, I, was, I wanted to ask you, can you tell us what it's like to be an NHS dietitian working on the front line at the moment? Well, that's, that's, to be honest, that's quite a difficult question to answer um, because I don't feel like I can speak for all NHS dietitians. I feel it is so varied, even in my own hospital trust and the trusts around the area where I work with and other dietitians that I've spoken to. So I can only really speak for myself. And at the moment, I think there's... A, in my own trust, there's been a lot of preparatory work and that's caused... Um, maybe a little, it's probably a little bit more stressful than normal, um, whether that's stress caused by changing of environment, moves, move, moving around or the changing of plans quite often. Because um, that's one thing that everyone sort of admits and everyone I've talked to has experienced is you'll have a plan, it'll be perfect, you'll discuss it with the team, everything will be wonderful, you'll have it all laid in stone and then the next week, You'll learn something new. You'll have problems, um, achievements, things that have gone right or wrong, and you'll have to change that plan and you'll have to constantly sort of change it around. And I mean, for other dietitians working in other specialties, so for example, you might have a dietitian working in with IBS patients or other areas and their services are often reduced or they've got rid of their clinics completely. Because uh, I also know at my hospital, they've cancelled all elective surgeries. So that's obviously a big change for a lot of dietitians because dietitians who may work in surgery or other areas, their caseload has been dramatically reduced to obviously um, help out with some of the patients that are coming in who are suffering some of these um, more severe symptoms of COVID-19. Exactly. And so from, from what you've said, it sounds like your role and also your dietitian colleagues and their roles have changed dramatically since this pandemic. Um, how has your role specifically changed? I know you've said it's changing on a literally a daily basis, um, but were you always working in nutrition support? Um, have, have you had to sort of adapt what you're doing, being upskilled in any specific areas, for example? So in my particular in my particular trust, they have they've upskilled a, a a number of dietitians. Now, it's not that every dietitian will work on ICU and be an ICU dietitian, but it's just to provide that capacity. Um, so you've heard a lot about you've got the NHS Nightingale Hospital that sort of increases based on capacity, and that's what we've managed to do at our, our trust is we've upskilled a certain number of dietitians that um, and then what'll happen is you've got a list of people who sort of, I don't know the best way to say this, get drafted in as um, the caseload increases for the ICU dietitians. And there's also been a lot of training based on um, CPAP 
um, and other non-invasive ventilation procedures and sort of the nutritional struggles with those patients may have. Because I think from my own experience, there's been a, the BDA um, critical care group has done a fantastic job at providing not only the webinar, um, but also loads of resources for dietitians to upskill and sort of learn about different areas, different medical um, online courses have been providing education about different areas. So that's, that's sort of what um, I've been reading myself, but also I've provided a lot of education from the trust that I work for and they've, they've helped upskill certain dietitians and then we're going to be sort of deployed in ICU as, as needs be. But to answer your original question about whether I've always worked in nutrition support, that is a job that I've done since I first started. Um, it is a large majority of dietetics, obviously patients with various different conditions, but I did work in the acute medical um, wards before this happened. So it's been a little bit of a change for me, but not too dramatic. Um, yeah, so um, you've mentioned that the the training, additional training that you've undertaken, some of it's been your own CPD that perhaps you've done in your own time using webinars and online reading. Um, how has your trust upskilled you in these certain areas? Is it being led by dietitians? Um, is it based on guidance from other countries who've had more experience um, because you know they they were hit before the UK in terms of the coronavirus pandemic? Where's that sort of guidance coming from within your hospital? So there's been, there's no specific guidance come from my hospital in regards to COVID-19. And it's not because they were unwilling or didn't have that guidance, is that nobody really knew, okay? So guidance in relation to ICU uh, nutrition was provided and we got training in that area. We also were allowed to um, get sort of heavily supervised and see a, patients and sort of were able to upskill in that way to prepare us for a possible influx of patients and now also a lot of other resources have been provided that have helped me to sort of top up my specific knowledge the trust has also provided webinars based for all healthcare professionals on the treatment um treatment plans that a lot of covid19 patients will face so they were done for like doctors nurses all the same sort of webinars so you learn about different um different sort of supplies of oxygen cpap uh bpap or bipap um and then up, all up to invasive ventilation and you learn a little bit about sort of the vent settings and things like that um just to provide a little bit of an overview of everything that's going to happen and i think i don't know whether my anxiety has fueled it or um, my own interest in sort of upskilling, but there's been so many resources that have been released online and I've, I've delved into them and sort of really absorbed a lot of them to help me provide the best care possible really and know as much about the different areas as possible because with plans changing weekly, daily, hourly, you often have to be prepared for lots of different things to happen. Absolutely. And I think you've raised such a great point. There's, there is so much uh, information out there online, free webinars, resources, support from our British Dietetic Association. And we'll definitely link to lots of those free resources in the podcast notes. Um, 
going back to what you said about things changing on an, even an hourly basis, I, I suppose you have no typical daily routine at the moment. Um, but what's what could a, a day look like for you at the moment whilst you're sort of responding to this unpredictable pandemic? Well, well, days vary. Um, and each week it does change. I mean, firstly, we took a very, um, we didn't really change much. We just sort of continued what we were doing while upskilling and retraining and learning more about the areas. But then as we started to get more patients, we noticed that the ward has changed slightly. Um, and by that, I mean, obviously dietitians are upskilling, but we've got to understand that other professionals are upskilling as well, or not, maybe not upskilling, but side skilling. So they have a certain speciality that they're working in, um, but it might be sort of in a lot of the elective procedures that have been canceled. So they'll often move to some of the more acute based treatments. So you've got to understand that they might not be as familiar with a lot of the tools that ward based nurses would use. Um, so it we've we felt as in ourselves that a lot of our job is also making sure that we help to promote nutrition and put nutrition at the um, at the forefront on a lot of these wards because with everything that go that's going on and everything they've got to remember and it not being the area of their speciality sometimes these things because we're all human get missed and i think that's an area where we discovered quite early on that we needed to be there and supporting the nurses in the area of nutrition to provide sort of um a more ward-based level of care um and not just on the individual patients but also talk about patients go through the ward list really talk about the nutrition plan for each individual patient to identify patients that may be at risk of malnutrition for various different reasons. Um, I mean, one of the major reasons at the moment is because of the CPAP, continuous pressure, I never remember the acronyms, but it's continuous positive airway pressure. Um, they struggle to take that off and give them a little bit of time to eat. And that's often a major concern for uh, dietitians. So we're able to talk about the ward list, talk about individual patients and see who's really struggling and then able to sort of pick up patients that way as well, not just based on the usual referral mechanisms. Okay, so that's that's very interesting because presumably some of those patients that you're talking about are ward-based, not, not on the ICU. Yeah. So, um, how's the nutritional care differing according to patients who are perhaps not sick enough to be on the ICU, but obviously, like you said, still requiring quite invasive procedures or treatment. Um, are they able to eat orally? Are they being enterally fed? What what patterns are you noticing? So, um, I mean, it's pretty, pretty standard. I'll, I'll cover ICU. ICU, obviously, those patients are intubated and ventilated. Um, not all of them, but the majority of those uh, patients would be intubated and ventilated and often an NG tube is placed and they're quite, they do quite well for nutrition because they've got a dietitian dedicated. They know, they know the processes, the NG tubes placed and the, the feeding regimes provided. Uh, and then they have a dietitian they can troubleshoot with and the, the patients are easily identified. That's basically what I'm trying to say. However, the other patients say on a, um, a CPAP mask, um, 
are going to struggle to obtain nutritional intake. Now, the guidance from the beat, um, the guidance that we are following is obviously try to give them nutrition support uh, early if possible. So that's an NG tube if possible, or also give, if that's not possible, then giving them oral nutritional supplements. So that's the kind of nutrition support we're providing. Now, we also have specifically targeted that ward for different snacks and other forms of nutrition support. But we had to bear in mind that due to pressures on the ward, it it has been important for us to make more structured patterns. And it's not it's not the time to bring in extra extra things that might confuse them. So we've put extra snacks on the wall that can give out to patients and also provide nutritional supplements to help meet their intake. And then obviously based on discussions with the medical team, an NG tube might be placed. Um, I know the guidance is uh, prophylactically, but um, it obviously de depends on the the severity of the condition and how much the patient is actually managing to, managing to eat because mm. it varies patient to patient. And in terms of the... Um sort of hospital food provisions and things has that been affected at all by coronavirus you know are there less catering staff for example at the hospital or or has that been fairly consistent so there have been changes to to menus and things to this to streamline it i'm not 100 percent sure exactly what those changes have been um i know they happened a little bit a little bit more recently and i haven't been able to really delve into those but um, there have been alterations to the hospital menu to make it easier to cope due to extra pressures on catering. Um, I know, for example, the snacks are, are delivered slightly differently. Um, but as, as dietitians, we've been able to put in sort of, instead of just targeting individual patients with, say, some snacks, based on our nutritional assessment, We've actually provided certain wards where we have identified there's a large amount of high-risk patients and they can provide those snacks to patients ad libitum really um, to help support their nutritional intake before they see a dietitian or they they come up, um, we come up to the ward to see what's happening and discuss with the nurses about different um, plans and the, the medical team in general. In terms of identifying the patients that might be at risk of malnutrition or require dietetic input, um, are the processes still similar to before the coronavirus pandemic in terms of nutrition risk screening and referral to dietetic team? Or has that had to change as well, given that there's probably more demand on the hospital? Yeah, so at the moment, um, dietetic-wise because of a lot of elective procedures that have been cancelled, um, we are able to increase um, increase our presence on the ward and help the nurses um, and medical teams with those screening processes. We've also had help from various different consultants that are sort of nutrition-minded in that sense um, to help sort of put, put nutrition on the agenda with all the other things there they're thinking about and obviously we've got the normal processes of screening that we had beforehand in place but we've also noticed that due to various different factors on the ward sometimes patients might not be picked up by the screening tool and I know it's not the screening tool is a screening tool for a reason it's not a diagnosis um so I think 
probably partly due to the the limitations of screening tools, um, but also the fact that a lot of these patients that we see, they're not the usual are, population are that slightly um, higher dietitians working um, nutrition BMI. support would see. So, however, they are still at massive nutritional risk, and it's a very acutely onset. So we need to be, we've, we found ourselves that we need to be on the ward having these discussions and really talking about the patients with the nursing staff and working with them to provide nutrition support. So in answer to your question, yes, we have that um, typical screening tools that we had before, but we also rely a lot on clinical judgment and based on our discussion with the nurses who we'll pick up and do an assessment on. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they would get sort of nutritional supplements or anything like that, but it means we've done an assessment and we've we've done a full assessment, not just used a screening tool. So th there has been a little bit of change, um, but it's really been on our, we've really designated it to be on our backs to really go up there and work with them to help identify patients. Whereas yeah. we wouldn't do that mu as much before. We'd provide training and things like that, and we wouldn't be as proactive in really searching out those patients and I, I think from what you said it sounds like there really is such an important element of multidisciplinary teamwork going on at the moment and and like you pointed out earlier before we started recording this podcast nobody is an expert in coronavirus it's such a new area and so everyone's from what you've said just sharing their knowledge and experiences and sort of evolving and adapting as you go along and every single webinar that I can tune into, I, I try to tune into to find new um, nuggets of information. Often they cover the same topics, um, but um, they I'll, I, I can't thank them enough, put it that way. Everyone who's sort of dedicated time to provide educational materials, whether that be educational materials that existed beforehand or new ones, um, and they've been they've been really really helpful um i'm i'm kind of a person who when he gets anxious i like to feel like i'm doing something um so even though uh i may know it already it's nice to cover it again so i can feel like i'm uh doing the best i can to help in this this difficult situation and just drawing upon what you said about feeling anxious i imagine um those are very normal feelings for any key worker or anyone working on the front line for the NHS so how how has it felt for you personally um because I I imagine there must be lots of feelings and emotions that you've gone through the last th few weeks um I mean I don't really know how to articulate it in words um I mean it's it is it is difficult um and i i sometimes feel like um it may not be justified to feel like it's difficult because i see what um the nurses and medical team have to go through so obviously um yeah i'm not I sure about family no 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 I, Oh, it's fine. It's, it's important. I'm not sure about family um, visiting times at the moment. I'm not sure. I know there's an announcement from Matt Hancock a while ago, so I, I don't know about that. But there've been you've had family write letters to um, 
patients and they've had to maybe the patient didn't have they had to pass along messages they've had to um communicate with um uh sort of grieving families and you can't even imagine what some of these um families are going through because if you think about it it's it's a contagious disease and if you've had the the virus and you're staying with your family um obviously if you're following government guidance you won't spread it to anybody else um well obviously you could at the supermarket there's you minimize risk but a lot of times when a family's hit it's it's almost hit quite hard um so a lot of members of the family are hit and you you do hear um many um really heartbreaking uh, I, don't, I i can't and obviously i'm yeah. not at the forefront of that and i don't hear it from them but just hearing mm. it sort of secondhand and understanding what the patient's going through and understanding the family's wishes is really difficult and often patients with uh co coronavirus they will or covid19 be more technical they will deteriorate quite fast and almost a little bit not completely unexpectedly but it'll be a lot faster than we, we were expecting um and that can be quite quite difficult um plans need to change um yeah yeah that's basically yeah. sorry yeah uh, thank you for just sharing you know what i can imagine are really raw and difficult feelings and emotions to talk about um I think other dietitians listening to this who may or may not be working um, with coronavirus patients will really be able to, uh, you know, those who are working on the front line will be able to em empathise with how you're feeling. And for others um, who perhaps work in different areas of dietetics, um, it's, you know, just, just incredible. And what you're doing is so valued and appreciated. Um, I'm wondering what sort of support you get from your dietetic team at your NHS hospital, because those emotions and feelings that you're going through are very difficult to deal with alone, especially if you're returning home to your family at the end of the day. Um, and, and obviously some key workers are not able to return to their families at the moment, which must be incredibly difficult. So what sort of support is available to help you as an individual? So, yeah, I mean... We have to also remember that a lot of um, key workers, and I just want to thank um, people who do all these different types of jobs, because when you come home and you almost don't feel like you can talk about it, um, as they they might not understand, they might not, um, you don't want to burden them with it. And I think that's why I'm so grateful for, and I've realized this more than anything, is the teamwork so from the top down um our dietetic managers have have communicated with us really really well they have um asked for our input based on their plans they've developed plans they've discussed it with us as teams um and they've provided extra support so we actually as um as dietitians have a room called maybe a, it's called a wobble room um because everyone at some point will have a certain thing that hits you and you just you just want to get away from it and sometimes i know from my own experience home isn't always the best way to get away from it um sometimes because 
it might be what other family members are talking about it might be like a almost like a obsessive compulsive thing that you check twitter and read the news and almost um sort of fuels the anxiety and just having that we've had that space to really um wobble um and i did notice on one of the wards as i was entering before i got kitted up and put ppe on they had a notice on the board like a paper one and it said wobble room and it sort of it sort of made me smile because i know that there's lots of different teams that are sort of in various different frontline staff that are going through the same thing and we it's it and i can't stress this enough it's hard to say how exactly my team supported me they've just been there for me they've just been there to listen i know they'll they'll be supportive if if i ever need it and we've yeah there's lots of yeah i just yeah it's it is about that that teamwork yeah yeah and i'm sure that's you know uh you know people deal with things in in many different ways um and I like the idea of the wobble room because I think from from what you've said earlier, sometimes you've got to let those feelings and emotions out in a way that's healthy for you, and that's different for everybody. Um, so, just going back to um, what we were saying earlier about um, lots of the dietetic services being um, suspended at the moment, whilst you're dealing with increased demand from COVID nineteen patients. I was just wondering what has happened to your usual sort of patient caseload and the patients who you'd normally be seeing on these wards. Um, I don't know if you'll even have an answer for this, but but what you know are they being treated sort of at home over the telephone? Have other dietitians in your team had to adapt to provide support services to those patients? So. Short answer is I don't know exactly what's happening to every single one of those patients that I would normally see. Um, um, but I do know that we we have wards that don't have any confirmed cases of coronavirus on those wards and people are still receiving the support that they would normally receive. Um, and they are they are tested for coronavirus and I mean that the appropriate PPE for those wards is also provided because there is still a risk um, mm. based on those wards. So, I mean, they're still providing care to those patients, but they've just um, limited it as much as possible. So certain services have been delayed and certain appointments have been delayed um, based on the demand, but it's, it's an ever evolving process. Um, different people's jobs are changing um all the time and we're constantly have got those patients in the back of our mind and they're the dietitians may not have say a set clinic but i do know that they are still keeping in touch with patients and making sure that patients understand that if they do have a problem they can still reach out to those those dietitians even though the the technically the services are suspended but they can still reach out if they have an immediate concern regarding nutrition or sort of nutritional support i know i've i've definitely called a few of my patients that i would um normally see in clinic and had um a, a follow-up with them um to pr to provide a, um, a certain level of support even though it may not be officially in a in a clinic capacity yeah and um, some of my dietitian colleagues and friends i know they're also working from home at the moment 
um, especially community dietitians who are not able to be going to care homes and GP surgeries, for example. Um, and it's it's so interesting seeing how quickly all these services have managed to adapt to delivering, you know, telemedicine consultations so that that level of dietetic support can continue to be delivered. So that's just an observation I've made. And I think it's great to see sort of how the profession is adapting so quickly. I think if we can learn positive things from this um, as approaching telemedicine or um, we could have, say, in... I know my wife's family live in uh, live in Cornwall and it's really a long distance between different sites. And if you're, say, a, an individual who struggles with, doesn't have any access to public transport, can't drive through various different reasons, it can be difficult to access certain healthcare provisions. And I think starting to think about telemedicine and video consultations, maybe um, maybe this is the the push that maybe this is the start of something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it'll, it'll be really interesting to see once um, obviously coronavirus cases continue to decrease and hopefully things get a bit more stable. It'll be interesting to see how this affects healthcare provision in general, in terms of, like you said, maybe more telemedicine and virtual consultations. Um, you've mentioned PPE a few times. So that mm-hmm. personal protective equipment, it's been in the news a lot. Um, especially in the last few days at at this point of recording, supplies are running quite low. How has that affected your hospital and and how does that feel for you as a key worker working with coronavirus patients? So I think it is something that, I mean, before we just go to the ward when when we wanted to, we sort of felt it was needed to go to the ward. Um, We'd go to the ward to see all patients and and talk to them and develop a nutrition care plan with um, with input from the patient. Um, and I think that was really valuable. But at the moment, due to um, just requiring PPE, um, we, we might not be able to jump on and off the waters as freely as once before. Um, not acutely due to any shortages that have been discussed in like news outlets, but just due to the fact of not of not wasting a a currently precious resource so we have had to think about how we function as a team and how we conserve um sort of ppe um obviously we've got to use it because we've noticed that a presence on the ward is really helpful in the nutritional care of patients but it's it's being efficient with that so whether it be if you've got to see multiple patients on one ward you try to do that all at once you try to make the visit sort of in, in chunks or possibly one one dietitian would go to one ward and then another dietitian would go to another ward and even if different sort of they'd hand over different patients and they'd be able to get input uh, from the patients on that ward just so there wasn't two dietitians going onto the same ward to limit overuse of uh, PPE so it's just it's just about being as um, prudent as possible with it and changing possibly um practices that have existed in the past i know it's different for everywhere to be honest because we're fortunate enough to have all um electronic notes an electronic note system so we can see i'm pretty sure like 99.9 percent of the information in regards to a patient from from the office um however um there are many places that even i've worked at as well that that don't have that and they have paper records and 
it's not like they're going to change overnight so it is about um working with in in the in the remit as remit as much as possible and sort of developing a plan as a service and it's not yeah so and making do as best as you can at the moment from the sounds of things does it affect the way that you are able to communicate with your patients and other health professionals because i imagine when you're in all of that equipment it can get pretty hot um and i'm assuming i could be wrong but many of your coronavirus patients are probably wearing masks as well to prevent the spread to uh, to other people so is that is that difficult in terms of communicating or not to put simply yeah it's it's difficult um i i mean I think, yeah, we just end up speaking very loudly to each other through the masks. Um, and I think, yeah, every, no one thinks we're shouting at each other. We just we just get it. And we just understand that we do have to talk quite a lot louder because we're trying to get through a respirator mask. And I we also, just like when you're speaking with patients who have to have a, a CPAP mask beforehand, you're aware that they may not be able to talk as freely as you are able to talk even with our, our masks on and helping the patient to communicate with you in, in other ways is, is valuable. Yeah. So what, what are some of those other ways that you're using? Um, do you mean like asking closed questions? Yeah. Closed questions and allowing the patient to just sort of put a thumbs up or sort of shake his head or just do, do something that isn't as. Yeah. Yeah. Requires less sort of energy, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so I think you've, you've touched upon so many different and interesting areas in terms of how your roles had to adapt so much over the last few weeks, just reflecting on that, what would you say have been some of the biggest challenges that you faced as a dietitian? Um, I definitely think the, probably the emotional side is probably the most difficult. Um, just seeing um possibly patients that you might see quite often being admitted to hospital due to um long-term conditions and various various different um comorbidities um really really suffering with this disease and i think that that probably is the hardest thing i mean learning all this stuff is um i quite enjoy it um I think the hardest thing is definitely definitely that the the emotional side of it and having to having to see um the difficulty patients and their families face on um an almost daily hourly basis um and it is is quite um and that's probably the most draining thing i think because we haven't increased the amount of time we've worked um but um let me be honest um my podcast has sort of sort of fallen to the wayside a little bit just uh not because i've had loads more time loads more things to fill up my time but just because i just haven't felt up for it i haven't felt in the mood for it i think that's completely understandable um and i'm, I'm sure you need to use that time when you're not at work to really um invest in, in some sort of self-care and um yeah, I'm sure things will pick up pick up with your podcast when the time is right. Um, and obviously, we're just yeah. very grateful 
that you've found some time um, this weekend to to chat with us to share your experience because I know you're so passionate about helping other dietitians and and that's the hope with this podcast episode Um, and in fact that leads me on to my next question so what advice would you give to other dietitians who are being told or volunteering at the moment to be deployed to to different areas that they're used to Um, do you have any advice from your first-hand experience I think all I'd say is um, a few things, really. I mean, first of all, um, reach out if you, because because of the main problem that I faced has been more the um, the emotional and um, the side of things. I think the the points that I'd point out are um, obviously they're probably already doing CPD and upskilling and working as hard as they possibly can to gain as much knowledge as possible. But um, I mean probably the best thing is speak out earlier rather than later. If you're, if you're struggling for whatever reason, um, speak out to colleagues, um, whether they be within your specific team or I definitely have communicated a lot more with people over, over video chat that I wouldn't normally communicate with. And I found that really, really helpful. Just talking to other people that are possibly going through the same situation. I found really helpful and also be kind to yourself. Um, if you don't come home and you're not as as productive as you usually are and your house may be not as clean as it normally is and things like that and or you spend a little bit too long on watching pointless shows i think it is just be kind to yourself and during this time it's it's okay to not be as productive as you once were or um and it'll come back it just um obviously takes a bit of time i think that's the biggest area of advice that i can give to another person and also there's loads of resources out there that you can use but i think that's the most important yeah it's okay to not be okay i think Mm -hmm. definitely difficult times um just before we end our podcast, Aaron, I was wondering if you might have a sort of uplifting experience over the last few weeks that you might like to end the podcast on. Maybe it could be um, an experience with a colleague. It could be an experience with a patient. Does anything come to mind? This is a difficult question, I know. Um, I think... I think... It was my. It was actually my birthday the other day, and um, um, I think the the lucky thing is that the best thing that I can think about is just the the kind support that my team has uh, given me, th- given everyone throughout the last couple of weeks, and I think I've I've really um, understood the importance of teamwork and really caring for others. I mean it sort of makes it was my birthday the other week and i i particularly like hot sauce and they they bought me a lot of hot sauce and felt like a little birthday present because i was struggling to find it in the shops and things um because yeah once you go to the shop and they don't have it it's not like you're gonna go searching around them but they managed to get it for me and i think understanding that we still we are lucky enough to have probably more face-to-face interaction than a lot of people and uh using that to the best of our advantage and possibly supporting other colleagues and really um, being there for one another. And I think it's definitely made us as a team grow a lot closer 
to one another and understand the importance of each other. And I think that's that's been real, real big benefit to me and just seeing the amount of dedication of of everybody really um i do i do i do feel for dietetic managers at the moment um because it's 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 difficult um because a lot of plans that they've had have gone on hold and things and it's just yeah the support that's been around has just been the most uplifting thing during this time Mm -hmm. and um I think you know you've you've really summarised that so so well. Um, teamwork and supporting one another, um, and talking about how you how you feel and sharing those emotions and being kind to yourself. Um, it was actually Aaron's birthday yesterday. Is that correct? Yes. So it's so the eighteenth of April. Put it on your calendar for next year, everybody. <laughs> Very happy belated birthday to you. And it's also the weekend at the moment. We're recording this on a Sunday. Um, are you back to work tomorrow? Yeah, I'm back to work. Yep. So, um, you know, incredibly, incredibly grateful that you have found time to chat to us, to share your experiences. I know this will be invaluable to other health professionals who listen to the podcast. So from everyone listening and all of New Outra, thank you so much for your time. Um, and also a special thanks to our listeners as well, many of whom are key workers, you know, working on the front line or in the NHS to keep us safe and well. So our thoughts are with you and your families at these difficult and challenging times. Um, best of luck, Aaron, over the, the coming weeks and months. Um, and I, yeah, thank you so much again for your time. Yeah, no problem. No problem whatsoever. Thank you so much for um, having me on and um Luckily, I don't have to do any of the editing this time. Um, somebody else will do that. So <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to worry about that. I don't have that. to do any of the graft. I just have to chat for a little while. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. No problem. <laughs>